Thank you for listening to the Theatrical Mustang Podcast. This is Olina, and today's episode is finally, after much delay, episode 104 with Jasmine Joshua. Jasmine is the founder of Reboot Theater Company, which seeks to test new interpretations of established works through non-traditional casting, design, and other methods. We talk about Reboot's current production of Fly By Night, a folk rock musical directed by Harry Turpin, playing now through November 19th. I hope you enjoy. It's been a while since I've done an interview uh, with Katie at grad school, and I've, it's, mm-hmm. I had a busy summer, so I'm getting back to it, which is exciting. And I'm here with today's guest, Jasmine Joshua. She's going to talk to us about Reboot Theater Company and their current production. So, Jasmine, welcome. Thank hey. you for having me in your home. With oh, your yeah, absolutely. Thank really you so much cat for braving the, <laughs> braving the weather and... The ferry. I had no idea. Yeah, it's a, it's a commute. I it's beautiful though. I bet. It I'm is. Actually, never taken yeah. the ferry to Whitby. Yeah. It's. You should come up and check out Island Shakespeare Festival. Yeah. Next summer. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's great up there. I love it. But it's good to be in Seattle on a rainy day. That's perfect Seattle mm, weather. It is what Seattle does best. So, Reboot Theater Company. Can you give? Uh, can you give me a little? bit of your history with theater and how you came to be a theater artist? Yes, yeah. absolutely. So um, both my parents are, or were, are actors. Uh, my dad uh, does mostly film and he's um, he's a working actor, which is how he describes himself. And basically that means that he doesn't have another job. Like he makes all of his income off of being an actor and has since he was like 25. Nice. Which yeah. I've always admired. I think that's really cool. It is. Um, my mother also was an actress um, and she actually did uh, soaps back at, we, my family's from New York, and she did soaps in the 80s and actually was twice nominated for a Daytime Emmy. Oh! Pretty cool, right? Yeah! Um, and she was in one of, she was like in a murder mystery soap, and she oh. was kind of the femme fatale who like had multiple husbands and like was on trial for murder. And <laughs> so super fun stuff. Totally. And she has this like fan club online who like still like watch her episodes oh, online. Cool. They watch it together. It's so cute. My mom like with her Facebook, I think uh-huh. what they call so the, the 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 soap opera was called Edge of Night, and they call uh-huh. themselves the Edgies, I think, which is funny yeah. <laughs> for a lot of reasons. Um, but it's great. Like it's super great. They cool. like um, so anyway. So I grew up in an acting family. All their friends are actors and wacky. Yeah. You know. Hard to escape types. it. When it's you're... hard to escape it. Um, try as my parents did to sure. get me to like, you know, learn anything else. Yeah. Um, but I always was a writer, so I ended up going to school for creative writing because they were like, please don't go to acting school, I beg of you. Um, <laughs> so I got a creative writing major, which of course was much more lucrative, as we all know. Yeah. All those millionaire um, writers. But yeah. um, <laughs> there's like three of them, right? Yeah, yeah, I'm pretty sure. Like Stephen King, J.K. Rowling, and... Uh, yeah, yeah, that's the, it. The that's pretty one. much it. Yeah. Um, so there you go. <laughs> so in any case, um, so I kind of grew up with it. I did show, you know, I was an orphan in Oliver, and I was uh-huh. in Vegas Gang, all that. Uh, I was in Sound of Music, blah, blah, blah. So I, I always did it. Um, I went through college. I produced a couple of all-women uh, shows. That was They were called the Women's Ensemble Theater, or WET, because we were oh. edgy. So, of course, when I moved yeah. up to Seattle, it's all like there was a WET up here. I was like, wait, <laughs> really? And then I was like, oh, Washington. Yeah, no, yeah, obviously, uh, of course. 
but I had a moment of like, oh my god, yes! That's funny. Like, yeah. period and feminist yeah. theater. <laughs> there is that in Seattle, um, but maybe not all the way. Anyway, so... Um, <laughs> So that's how, I, that's kind of my background. Uh, oh, and then um, I moved to L.A. to become Meryl Streep after college, like you do, and clearly that has worked out for me um, mm -hmm. as we sit here in my palatial estate, sipping mimosas, as you can, <laughs> you can't see it on the podcast, but that's what we're doing right now. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'll, <laughs> if I have to stop momentarily to speak to my butler, you'll have to excuse me. <laughs> so, anyway, um... So yeah, so I moved to L.A., I tried the L.A. thing, hated it, and then moved to the Bay Area because I was never going to be an actress, so I got into uh, uh, theatrical PR. So I was a publicist for a theatrical agency, and I did PR for uh, Lort Theaters and Community Theaters and Opera, Ballet, um, we did Disney on Ice, um, which was funny, I did uh, Monster Jam, the Monster Truck Rally. <laughs> I've got wacky stories about monster truck drivers. They're like the nicest guys, but it's a weird life. Um, and Broadway tours. And one of the shows that I did PR for um, was a... Uh, I did PR for a theater company in Palo Alto called Theater Works. And they're one of the top regional theaters in the Bay Area. And they were they loved they pumped out they had a new works festival that was highly acclaimed and one of the works was this musical called Fly by Night um which I saw like 40 times and just fell in love with um and I've always kind of held that in my heart so anyway mm -hmm. this ties into later so in any case so fast <laughs> forward um we moved to Seattle and uh cuz my husband got a job up here um and I realized that I I loved being good at PR because I was good at it and I loved that feeling, mm -hmm. but I didn't love PR. Like, and, and coming to Seattle and tasting the fruits of this magnificent community and seeing the breadth of types of theater here just uh, reawakened in me like what I really love and what I really want to do and that is, you know, be involved with theater and be an actor and be a performer. And so I just started auditioning, and I started, you know, I've worked for, you know, I've had the pleasure to work for a bunch of different companies around here that have all been really great experiences. And through all that, the more I became invested in this community, the more I wanted to do more than, than be an actor, which I still love, and I, I, I feel like acting might always be my first love. Like, there's just, there's just something really fulfilling about becoming someone else mm -hmm. constantly. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, you know? absolutely. I, I, ditto. You know? <laughs> yeah. um, but I, um, like, I would say, like, around my second year, or maybe toward the end of my first year acting here, um, I got pregnant with twins, which was a huge surprise, because twins <laughs> do not run in my family, and we were just like, let's just try, because whatever, boom. So... <laughs> We were like, oh, shit, so I guess we're doing this. I can say shit, You right? can say okay, shit. <laughs> Excuse me. My horrible cough. Anyway, so, um, oh, wow. yeah, so, and I was actually in a production of uh, Tommy, which is, you know, a rock opera yeah, where yeah. you're like, we had this, I was at uh, SMT, so we're like climbing scaffolding and hanging off of things. I'm in heels and a corset. It was, uh... <laughs> That was with a twins in there. With yeah. twins in there. So cool. actually, probably the first sounds my daughters ever heard was <laughs> Pinball Wizard, which 
for better or for worse. We'll find out how that turns out in 20 years. Um, but I knew I was going to be out of the game for a while because, uh-huh. you know, not yeah. a lot of theater companies will take a shot and hire a largely pregnant actress. Um, except, although I will, I will tip my hat to Intamon, I was in their emerging artist program that summer and I asked Andrew Russell, I was like, look, I just found out that, I, you know, by the time the festival goes in August, I might be a, bl- like, I might be a planet. And Andrew Russell was like, that's fine, I don't care. Oh, great. Yeah, cool, right? So, yeah. go Andrew Russell, yeah. good on Intamon. Um, and granted, it's not like I was in Angels in America, but like, you know, but still, like the fact yeah. that, you know, I, I appreciated that. And it was, it was nice to know that I wasn't like, well, you're pregnant and that means you basically, like, you're done and yeah. goodbye, which yeah. I feel like a lot of industries feel. And I, I mean, and I don't think that that's not prevalent also in theater, mm-hmm. but, um, I've been fortunate to have fought that so far. Mm-hmm. Um, so in any case, so while I was pregnant, I knew I wanted to do something because if I'm not doing something, I'll die. That's just what, ha- you know, I'm just a busy, busy person and I, I triple book myself constantly and, uh, maybe it's a problem. I don't know. They love it. We Some love of it. us function best in those circumstances. You know what I mean? So, um, I started getting involved on the board of SMT for better or for worse. Um, but I learned a lot while mm-hmm. I was there. Um, I, you know, I started getting back, you know, resharpening my marketing tools. And one of the things that I decided I wanted to do is there's, uh, this musical called 1776 it's a musical about the founding of America and the writing of the Declaration of Independence. And it's a nerdy-ass play. With, it's really a play with music. It's known for the musical which has the longest scene without music in musical history. There's a 20-minute scene with no music in it. Mm. And it's while they're um, discussing whether or not they should uh, claim themselves independent from Britain. And... I don't know. I've, I've loved that show since I was in the sixth grade, and I've always wanted to play the lead, John Adams, and John Adams was a man, as you may or may not know, and <laughs> I am not a man, as you may or may not know, and I knew that no theater company would ever do it, so I was like, screw it, I'm going to do it, and I don't care if it's, you know, in this living room on that piano, let's just get some friends and read it, and, you know, let's do it all female 1776, wouldn't that be fun, what else am I doing? And it just snowballed. Mm-hmm. I mean, I just was like, hey, if I were to do this, who would come? And I got 50 people who were like, I will come to that reading. I had to, we actually ended up renting like a common space at a friend's apartment complex because my living room wasn't big enough for the amount of people who wanted to come. It was amazing. So then we thought, well, then maybe let's do a concert version. Like, let's just be in blacks with mics. And I started looking at different venues, which is hard in this area because it's super expensive. And I was a first time producer. So like, I didn't have... Um, another company to kind of house me and I started looking around and the more we I started looking the more I started talking about it the more people were like that's great I want how can I help what can I do what can I donate and I think the biggest turning point honestly was um, this costumer in town her name is Barbara Klingberg and she is who you want for everything anytime she was a Broadway costumer and she studied um, in New York And she said, I will make all of your costumes. I will make you 26 frock coats, and I will do it for free. Oh, my God. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, my God. So I'm like, well, we ain't doing a concert (laughs) in handmade frock coats. Let's do this. Let's do it. So we did it. We did it. We we did an all-female 1776. 
in 2015, in June, the, my daughters were five months old. Wow. And yeah, uh, <laughs> it was a bizarre year um, for sure. Like, but it, it was so incredible. The love and the camaraderie and how everything just came together. And again, I was like, I don't know, producing was kind of fun. You know, I, I just, I loved finding people who were great at what they do and putting them in a room with other people who are great at what they do. And then you're kind of just walking away and letting them do it. And that, I have not felt like the kind of passion for any other gig besides acting, like until I did that. Mm -hmm. It was so successful. It was like, it was one of the pinnacles. And of course, you know, I got to play John Adams and I was nominated for a Broadway World Award, which was so inspiring. Congratulations. Thank you. Absolutely. No, it was just, I mean, people say it was just an honor to be nominated, but it really was like, because totally. we were just a one weekend, who the hell is Reboot? Who the hell is Jasmine? You know, yeah, I just, yeah, I was really, yeah. and I came pretty damn close. <laughs> you know, I just didn't like email enough of my friends, I guess. But anyway, <laughs> um, but then, I mean, uh, like a couple other actresses in the show were nominated and Barb, of course, won Broadway World uh -huh. Award for best costuming as she should, because mm -hmm. they were gorgeous and brilliant and my God, like, what a woman, what a treasure. Everyone forget her name because I only want to use her exclusively. Um, no, but seriously, hire her and pay her all the money. But um, <laughs> that I cannot do. So, yeah, so that happened. <laughs> I, you know, I started doing more plays, and then I decided that was a great idea. What else? You know, we had such a diverse cast. We had women of various ethnicities, ages, sizes, levels of skill, like, it wasn't, once we decided that these are not white men, well, then they can be friggin' anyone, right? So, what other shows are like that? Mm -hmm. And we did ask permission, everyone's like, well, you have to ask. I'm like, I did, I do. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it's important to ask, not because I, like, mostly so that people know, the licensing houses know, that people are asking for it. Yeah. You know? People totally. are asking. And it's great feedback for them to have. And, Absolutely. And the more that feedback comes back to the people in charge, That's the more right. eventually we won't have to ask. It's just That's right. That's anyone right. can play any part, and it's just assumed, and just go for it. Just It's fine. Yeah. And, you know, I don't think that every show can be rebooted. I mean, maybe, maybe not. I don't, you know, I'm but one human being. Like, I don't know that I would do an all-white Raisin in the Sun. No. Probably not. Um, I feel like Hairspray, you can't, like, there are, like, the plot, West Side Story, you know, there are, there yeah, are shows yeah. where the plot is, it is important for certain pe certain characters to be yeah. a certain type of person. Mm -hmm. And I get that. Um, and I feel like, for me, 1776 opened my eyes to, well, let's find where the context breaks the story. Let's find it. Maybe only one character we flip. Maybe it's not an entire cast. You know, maybe we just find, like, what happens if just that one person is a man instead of a woman? Mm -hmm. What happens if that one woman is a, you know, what one man is a woman instead of, you know, blah, 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 mm -hmm. um, et cetera. Like, I don't know. Like, does it change anything? I know the Fifth Avenue is doing The Little Mermaid, and uh, their Ariel is not a white woman with red hair. Does that change The Little Mermaid? I don't think so. Yeah. It's that simple. Yeah, exactly. You know, uh, so whatever. Like, let let's find it. Like, where is it? Where would it be weird? Mm -hmm. Where would it Where would it inhibit the audience from understanding the story? And that 
all those questions came to me upon like through doing 1776 and upon its closing and I wanted to find out where else let's pick another show and so I gathered up some folk um who saw 1776 and were my friends and we decided to form Reboot Theater Company and that so here we are uh, a week ahead of opening our second show um, call back to Fly By Night, which I had done work on as a publicist in 2011. And we haven't, it's not as dramatic or as flashy a change as 1776. I mean, 26 women on stage, I think anywhere at any theater for any show is pretty bold. Um, I can't really think of anyone else who does that, <laughs> you know? Um, but this is only, um, it's a cast of seven and three of the roles, who are usually played by men, we asked permission, and they gave us permission, and we cast women in these roles. Now, two of the roles are not... Um, or I should say, one of the roles was the narrator, who is not a human. I mean, you know what I mean? So, yeah, yeah. like, the fact that it's a woman playing it, to me, is a slam dunk, because who the hell cares who it is? Yeah. You know? Um, and the two other characters in it... Um, Joey, uh, uh, we have a playwright and also, uh, Crabble, who's a sandwich maker. Um, they are men in the show, and even though women are playing them, we're not changing the characters into women. In the same way that in 1776, it wasn't a room full of women, it was a room full of congressmen. But they just happened to be played by women. Mm -hmm. So, um, so yeah. That was a really long answer. <laughs> to, <laughs> no, that's fine. who are you that's and where is your journey? Yeah. But... So, <coughs> what, is, what is it that stood out to you about Fly By Night? What made you fall in love with that show in the first place? Definitely uh, the music. Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Um, he agrees, because yeah. I probably play the soundtrack a lot. <laughs> so, um, definitely the music. Um, the music is just so wonderful. I feel like there are very few new musicals like that don't hit the big time that you see and remember the songs from after you leave like even if you enjoy it mm -hmm. you walk out and a couple days later like oh yeah that was fun I enjoyed that and Fly By Night I was singing the songs like weeks like day you know like months years after I had seen this show it was just so striking. And the storyline, like, the story is, is kind of complicated, but that's what makes it so magical, how it all clicks and fits in. Um, but it's basically uh, the three main characters. There's uh, uh, two sisters, Daphne and Miriam, and Daphne wants to be a big star in the Big Apple. Uh, it takes place in 19, uh, 1964 uh, in New York City. Okay, and so already that's fun. So already <laughs> it's delightful. Yeah. Um, so and so these two sisters move from South Dakota to live in New York City, and Daphne wants to be an actress, and Miriam is just kind of dragged along, and she's sort of an astronomy nerd who is more of a simple person, not in the sense that she like she really enjoys like working at a diner and getting to know her customers, and she's not really a big city person, but she follows her sister. And then once they're there, they meet this uh, kind of hapless sandwich maker guy named Harold. Um, and he has just lost his mother. And so him and his father, who is a, a former Marine, are trying to negotiate 
and renegotiate their relationship because they've kind of lost the heart of their family. So it's these two men who are not really able to communicate with each other. So we got their kind of storyline, the sister's storyline. In the meantime, Daphne meets this like wacky playwright, Joey Storms, who wants to make her his muse and write the next big thing. And so she kind of is going along with him, but she falls in love with Harold, but she's constantly taken away by rehearsals. And then Miriam, on her way home, meets this fortune teller who tells her these like really ominous but uplifting but scary news, and it all kind of comes together at the end. It's a very, um, what is it? I guess like Magnolia, like that mm-hmm, movie where mm-hmm. like all these different storylines and they all kind come of together. come together at the end. Oh, oh my God. I love it that. is so <laughs> gorgeous. And the music is perfect. And they do a really good job of kind of playing, um, playing homage to 1965, like 60s music without it being like, totally kitschy uh-huh. it's it's a nod but it's really like it's like this folk indie rock it's just so so damn good like oh i've been obsessed with it forever i was really glad and i showed and everyone was like why are we doing the show that no one's ever heard of and i said because it's a seattle show it is like seattle sensibility is perfect for fly by night like i cannot believe no one has done it here yet to be honest uh-huh. they actually i thought i was gonna snag the northwest premiere but they just did it in uh I have no idea how to pronounce this. Tigard? Tigard? Oh, yeah, Tigard. Tigard? Yeah. Know, whatever. They just did it at the Broadway Outside Rose Theater. Yeah. Um, and it was, I followed their Facebook page to like kind of see like, you know, what they were doing and how, how it went for them. And it was a huge smash hit for them. Like, the people, and it was like that in Palo Alto. Like, people, when you see the show, they want to go and see it again. Mm-hmm. I wanted to go and see it again. I mean, I did. I saw it. Like, they were doing some ticket deal where it was like, See it once, see it again, half up. Like, you know, they kept getting people coming back and coming back and coming yeah. back, wanting to see it. So, I think Seattle is really ripe for this. Um, our biggest challenge is that we're a new theater company doing this Seattle premiere. And we're doing it at the Slate Theater, which is a new theater. It's at the Inscape Arts Building. Um, it's right across from Uajamaya and, like, two blocks from mm-hmm. the International District mm-hmm. Light Rail. So, it's super easy to get to, but it's, a, you know, it's still establishing itself. Um, Clayton Weller, who runs the Pocket Theater, is... Oh, it's the... Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah. Okay, cool. Right? Great. Well, you know, well, yeah. So it's, that's his new space, and I think the idea of Slate is more that it's independent producers who are supposed to be... They're not as promoted as the Pocket Theaters. Yeah, Pocket, yeah. It, you know, part of their deal is that they kind of yeah. help the fledgling mm-hmm. out of the nest. Um, so those are our challenges, but that being said, I think it's great. I think it's great that in Seattle, some, like, rando like me can walk into the scene. You know, I've only lived here four years. Like, be in a bunch of shows. And then produce a show. Mm-hmm. And then produce another show. And for the most part, like, I don't want to say it was easy, but it's possible. Yeah. Like, I'm not, you know, yeah. I don't have, I'm not funded by anyone. Like, we're, like, scrappy and doing it on our own, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think that is such a testament to the culture here. Absolutely. I love it. Yeah. Love it. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about what the rehearsal process has been like and kind of the artistic choice of, um, it's an all-female cast again? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And we have, oh, uh, oh, Harold and his father are played by men. They're played by uh, Jeff Church and Garrett Dill, who are, you're going to weep. They're so good. Like, you're going to cry. Just so y'all know, this is one of the shows where you'll cry. 
and laugh and love. I'm ready for it. Anyway, um, so yes, yeah, so, so it's not all female. We just split. It used to be a five men and two female cast. Okay. And now it's five female and two male. Okay, got it. So. So it's the three. Ki- okay. So. Sure. Um, so yeah. So. Um, Harry Turpin is our director. Um, he um, is local director, award-winning director in town. He's fabulous. Um, I tapped him for this project because he is probably one of the most prepared directors I've ever worked with. He just understands like stage tracking, and because there's so much going backward and forward in time, that the narrator kind of takes you like, first we're going to go to a month ago when so-and-so met so-and-so, and now we're going to skip to... Two weeks from now, when blah, 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 blah. And so you really have to have a director who has a clear stage picture and a clear understanding of, like, where the actors are going so that they don't run into each other and it doesn't just become a meandering blob. Yeah. <coughs> Excuse me. So, um... So... I specifically tapped him for this project, and, of course, he listened to it and loved it. So he's mostly been running his rehearsals like he would any other show, um, specifically his vision for the different um, char- the characters who we have cast um, with female actors instead of male actors. Um, one of them is the narrator who, like I said, like it kind of didn't matter who this actor was. Um, in every other production that has ever been done, um, the show did go to Playwrights Horizons, um, so it, mm-hmm. it, it had a, and it was nominated for several uh, Drama Desk Awards, including Best Musical. Um, and then had a very successful run in Dallas, and then obviously Palo Alto and Tiger. But anyway, so, um, they've all been played by men, but we have a female, um, so that's been pretty much the same. Um, and then Crabble, who's the owner of the sandwich shop where Harold works, um, he, we have not changed any of the pronouns, like, Crabble is still referred to as he and him. Um, it just happens to be played by a hilarious actress named Stacey Hart. And I think, like, we're pretty much treating it as if Crabble is who he is. He's a guy who runs a sandwich shop, and his big dream was that he used to, he was in, uh, he was a, an air traffic controller during World War II, and that's, like, the pinnacle of his life, and that ties in later. And so, um, Stacey is playing it as if Crabble is a man, I think, Pretty much if, if audience members go in and be like, that's clearly a woman. It's like, well, there were Rosie the Riveters in World War II. Maybe Rosie the Riveter, you know what I mean? Like, she was kicked out of the army when the men came home, and now she runs a sandwich shop. Like, her through line still works, even if you see her as a woman and don't see Stacey's character as a man. Um, and then there's Joey Storms, the playwright. I think this is the one where we're taking, I don't even want to say liberty, but I think where we're not necessarily ignoring the casting. Uh-huh. Um, so Joey Storms is a playwright who comes from a very prominent theater family, and he's constantly looking for his next big play, but he's, he, he admits he's not a very good playwright. So he meets Daphne and falls in love with her and says, I'm going to write this play for you, and this is going to be our big break together. And Harry has envisioned Joey more as male-identified as opposed to a man. So Kylie Gano is playing Joey, and... Um, and the, the philosophy in Reboot is not that this is a, no one's in drag. Mm-hmm. Like, we didn't bind our chests in mm-hmm. 1776. No one was told to, like, now act like a man and talk like a man. Like, nobody does that. It's uh-huh. like, you should just be this character. You just happen to bring the experience of not being a cis man to this role mm-hmm. and see what that does to it. 
So Kylie, I think we're going for more of an androgynous figure. And that, I think, will probably have the most impact. Um, although we'll see. I don't know. Maybe people will see it and they won't notice. I mean, that's the whole experiment, right? Mm -hmm. um, but I think that's the only one where the director was like, let's... Like, this is a person who identifies as male. Is Joey a cis man? I don't know. I mean, maybe we don't care, mm -hmm. right? And I think that that's the only one where, like, the choice has been kind of pointed. Um, but for Crabble and the narrator, like, oh... <laughs> like, it hasn't really made much of a difference when you look at their arcs. Like, it kind of works no matter what they do, mm -hmm. which is the point. Yeah. Um, you right. know? Yeah. Um, because I don't... Um, yeah, with Reboot, I never want it to be about changing the story or getting in the way of the audience's understanding of these people's experiences. And I don't want it to be distracting well, I don't know. Maybe I do want it to be distracting. I mean, maybe it's okay if it's distracting, but I think that that needs to be a conscious choice. Yeah. It's, I, I'm, I worked on an all-female production of The Two Gentlemen of Verona. Uh-huh. And in that, in that, our director... I've talked about it a few times on the podcast, so I wanna, don't want to... Eric, you can cut the, a little bit of this out. But um, <laughs> our director wanted... Um, really wanted us to just investigate the humanity of the text yes. and the experiences yes. of these characters. 100%. And it's a very gendered show. That play is, I mean, what the, what the boys are doing versus what the girls are doing are, right. like, super gendered. So removing gender from that. We didn't, we didn't play them as men, but we also didn't not play them as men. Right. It, could, yeah. it was yeah. kind of like no, up to the audience to decide what, uh -huh. or to just let it go and watch humanity taking place. Like, yeah. So I, but I, it's, I think it's challenging for audiences and for the artists involved mm -hmm. to let go of that and to yes. let it kind of just yeah. be what it is and to allow the process to happen. Right. And I think especially with, Fly by night because you know not a lot of people have seen this show. I think that's kind of exciting. Like it, it, you know, someone's like, "Well, if no one's seen it, like, is this a reboot?" Like, and I'm like, "It is a reboot. If they go and see the show somewhere else, I guarantee they're gonna do it the way it was written. They're gonna cast Joey as a man and Crabble as a man and the narrator. I mean, maybe, but like probably as a guy. And when they see that production, will they say, "Oh, I never thought of it as a guy because I saw it as a woman and it didn't matter to me." Yeah. Then I say we we win. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. Like, I still have people come up to me years later from, seven, or I guess a year, year and a half later, from 1776 and say, you know what? After the first five minutes, it didn't even occur to me that you were all women. I didn't even think about it anymore. Yeah. I bought it and I moved on. And yeah. I think that, that that's the experiment. Where, yeah. you know, let's, let's find out where, where do we get to, where do we get to the point where it's like, I couldn't move on. <laughs> yeah. I couldn't, I couldn't undo the fact that this person was not exactly who the script said he or she was. Let's find out where that is. And maybe it doesn't matter, and maybe it does. And maybe maybe it's okay that we're distracted by it. Maybe that brings up some questions that we should be asking and we should be answering. Totally. I think it's such an exciting kind of... It's pretty new, it feels like, this uh -huh. kind of investigation of texts. Yeah. Not that many people are doing it right. yet. Um, so it is really interesting to see what comes up and where do, where do we feel uncomfortable. Yeah. It's 
Right. Just an interesting thing to notice. Another interesting thing, and I, I'm not sure, you know, I don't, I, I don't know how to navigate it, but it's just something that I've noticed because, yes, when you do a show and you gender flip, you have to ask the licensing house. You do not have to do that if you do uh, race, uh, race blind. I don't have to call and ask, can I cast a person of color as Harold? I don't have to ask about that. I do have to ask if it's a woman. Why? Huh. Yeah. Why? Having a black male lead in 1965 in New York absolutely contextually makes a difference. I mean, if you're going to argue that a woman would make a difference, well, certainly, you know what I mean? Yeah. Especially yeah, if yeah. you cast a white female as the love interest. Like, that is a very different the, story. Absolutely. If you're going to try to be historically accurate, right? Mm-hmm. But I just find that interesting. I don't know whether that's good or bad. Mm-hmm. I don't, you know what I mean? Like, I haven't come to, like, how I feel about that. I just find sure, that fascinating. Sure, it's just a point. That is true. Right? That is... Like, I wanted to make Reboot because I didn't want it to be, like, once every couple of seasons we do a show that's different and we have a woman as a lead. It's like, no, every single show, every single show we yeah. do, I want to do something different. And it might be really bold, like, an entirely female Congress in 1776, or it might be something really subtle, like... We had a female narrator instead of a traditionally male narrator. Does that change anything? Not really. You could have, I, we could have, we're not putting her in, in a suit and a tie, but we could have, and she could have put her hair back, and who the hell would have known or cared? Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, the other characters, you know, might make more difference, but, like, I think that, as the Hamilton song goes, like, I'm willing to wait for it. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. I'm willing to see, like, it's all right. We can make a subtle change. What happens if we make three subtle changes? Well, what happens if we make ten subtle changes? I don't know. Let like let's find out where that line is. Yeah. I I'm, I'm just I'm just curious. And there may be a show that we do that people are like, "What? Why? <laughs> Please God." You know, like, "Why would you do that?" And mm-hmm. I think I don't know. I want to find out what show that is. I'm excited to find that show. Yeah. What's the show that makes people go, "This was a mistake." <laughs> yeah. It's so exciting to to live in a time and in a community yes. where that kind of investigation is welcome and encouraged. And, oh, absolutely. And we're hungry for it. Yeah, I think so, too. I think so, too. I don't think that by any means, like, we're the only company that is thinking in these terms. I mean, I know, like, Strawberry Workshop just did Rhinoceros, and they, I, I unfortunately, I missed it. I heard it was brilliant. But I know they gender-flipped um, Ali. They cast a woman in a male's role. Um Show tunes just did Shenandoah, and they cast Anne Allgood in a traditionally male role. And I think they, actually, they put her in a, in a dress, so it's not even like, again, they didn't put her in drag. They're like, no, this character who was, I think, played by, like, Jimmy Stewart... <laughs> yeah. ...is not being played by a woman, and yeah. who cares? You know? So, I think that's great. I love it. I, you know... I do, too. I, and I think that's a really interesting distinction, How if you are going to cast a woman in a role mm-hmm. that's traditionally a male cast in that role... There's a big difference between casting a woman and having her dressed as a man, yes. playing it as a man, yes. or dressed as a man, playing it as a woman in drag. Right. Or right. dressed as a woman, playing it as a woman. Yes. Identifying woman. Correct. The, like, there's yeah. so many different and how ways that fascinating. can go. Like, and that rehearsal process, and that's, like, to, to me, is, like, the director and the actor, like, let's figure this person out. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Like... Yeah, like, what, what is, who is this person? Because those experiences that you're bringing to the table... Right, like that those are three totally different stories. Th- absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And three completely different processes 
or the actor to like physically investigate. Oh yeah. yeah totally. Oh yeah. Absolutely. Actually, it was so great at, in a uh, seventeen seventy six because we you know we're all in these like knee breeches and stockings, and we would all sit, and we realized we were all sitting like girls, <laughs> and we had this moment where we were like ah. We, yeah, we yeah. manspread. It was like this is right. great. Yeah, yeah. And I don't even know if that was historically accurate. Who the hell knows if manspreading was a thing in 1776? I yeah. mean, maybe I don't know. <laughs> but like, just to like have that freedom to take up space. Yeah. yeah. And to yell over each other and not say, and, you know, like n- nowhere in that script does anyone say, "I'm so sorry." I just wanted to say, yeah. Nobody freaking said that, right? They're like, "No, you're a fucking idiot," and we yeah. should be la la la. Like they just yelled over each other. Yeah. And like, God, that was so liberating. Yeah. Like, it was great. Yes, totally. We had a day, we had a rehearsal where we did a physical exploration uh-huh. of masculinity. Sure. And it was like, oh. I, yeah. Can I do this all the time? Right? Like, and, you know, it's taking our own ideas of what those stereotypes are. Yes, of, no, 100%. Of maleness. Yes. But some of that is accurate. And, and yeah, I mean, even... You know, through going into the stereotype, then you can find the human there, yes, too. Yes, 100%. So. I mean, if masculinity and femininity are socialized into us, and even if it is a construct, it's still a construct that exists. Yeah. Like, there are still expectations of how and what you do, depending on how you are perceived in your gender. Absolutely. And even if we made them up, they're now real. Right. For better or for worse. Yeah. Um, and, you know. So, yeah, I mean, especially for me... You know, I'm a character actress, I'm not over 40, which means the roles for me, for my gender, are very limited. Mm-hmm. Like, they're get, it's getting better and better, but I mean, I'm not an easy typecast, which was another inspiration for this company. Yeah. So it's like, cast against type. We had, like, we had, I don't know, five or six Maybe more, like, people in our cast who are, quote-unquote, ingenues, and they're playing salty congressmen, or, like, Kylie Gannou plays ingenues, and now she's, like, this androgynous playwright who's, like, kind of seducing this act. You know what I mean? Like, she wouldn't get to play that because her voice and her look is a very specific thing. And that is the reality of theater, and it's certainly, I mean, less so with theater than it is in film, but still, like, it's hard it's hard to go against that when directors and companies, one, they have to cater to their audiences, and if their audiences are older, like, they don't really, they want to see the sound of music how it fucking is. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they're like, don't mess with me. Like, come on. Yeah. <laughs> Maria is Maria, and I want her to look like Julie Andrews, and I want Ariel to be a redhead, and I want to, like, you know what I mean? Like, don't make me think, just let me see it. Yeah. I think Seattle is ripe for change, and I feel like, new audiences are starting to get and starting to be more excited by being challenged. But, you know, that's still a reality for a lot of companies, especially if they want subscribers, mm-hmm. which we all do right. a lot. <laughs> so. that's, and that's part of the balance of being a producer yeah. that you can understand. Certainly it's really hard to to balance the kind of political statements that we yes. have to make as theater artists. Yes. And selling tickets. It's That's like, right. Uh, I know. <laughs> it is the reality. It's um, hard. It is hard. It's hard and again, like I'm hoping 
The more we ask, the more the licensing houses hear it, the more the playwrights hear it. Yeah. Because the licensing houses go to the playwrights. Yeah. You know, I've asked, I think I asked, uh, I don't remember what the house was, but I wanted to do uh, Rajiv Joseph's The North Pool, which is so good, and someone out there do this show. It's great. It's brilliant. It's two people in one location. Should be super easy to do. It's a principal and a student of Persian descent, and it's basically a psychological thriller, and it's brilliant. And I was like, what if the student is a female student? That's it. I wasn't going to make her anything else, but maybe she's wearing, you know what I mean? Like, she's female instead of male. And I asked, and they declined, because they said it would change the dynamic too much. And I don't know that I disagree. I mean, I, I don't know that I agree yeah, with them. Yeah, I, yeah. I mean, I reread it, and I was like, I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I don't know that it does. Uh, but, you know, they said no, so I'm not doing it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I guess I could have asked if the principal could have been a, a woman, but um, I feel like their answer pretty much said, like, this is, like Rajiv Joseph says, this is what I wrote. This is what I want. You know, fine. I am. He did think about it, from what I understand. It sounded like he gave it thought, uh-huh. uh, which I appreciate. But maybe, I don't know, maybe the next play he writes, he's like, you know what? Could this be a woman? Yeah. Do I care if anyone else plays it as a woman? Or maybe he'll never think of it again, I don't know. But, like, the more people who ask, the more audiences who see it, the more plays that are written where, like, the role doesn't matter, I don't know. I think it might make them more open. But I think that's an interesting point, too. I don't know if all plays have to have yeah. the ability to be... Because that's true there too. are circumstances, and and I don't know. There, th- That brings up a lot of thoughts about those cultures and yeah. the different roles of males and females right. in Persian culture. And right. so maybe we don't have to investigate... If sure. That I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. know. I don't know if there's an answer, but right. So, but you know. So again, it's not like I'm happy to ask. Totally. I, I yeah. Really am. Um, yeah. I don't. You know, it's it can be frustrating because, like, again, someone do the North Pool. Someone do it. Yeah. You will. You will win everything. <laughs> all the audiences. All the awards. It's a great show. Anyway, but you know what I mean. Like yeah. I. Uh, yeah. Um, what was the other one that I thought of? Oh, I was gonna do the Lieutenant of Inishmore. Oh, uh-huh. Which was a huge hit. People love it because it's, like, gory and disgusting yeah. and dark. I know Pillow Man was just up here and did really well. Um, but they said no, too. They didn't want to change any of the characters. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, maybe, I don't know. Like, they're all Irish Catholic, and maybe there's, like, a machismo to, like, a, a male Irish Catholic guy. I mean, I don't know. I'm not Irish or Catholic, so I don't know. Yeah. Maybe they're right. I don't yeah. know. Um, but... Tis up to them, and that's that's yeah. fine. The other cool thing is I have, like, the entirety of public domain... I have thousands of years of theater, of classic plays, that I don't right. gotta ask nobody about nothing. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's not like I'm gonna run out, but... <laughs> I do find it interesting of, like, who says... Who says yay, who says nay, yeah. and why. It would be interesting to hear why. You know? It would be... That would be a really cool conversation to have. Of, right? Like, like, for no other reason, just, like, so what, like, what is... Why are you so invested in that? Yeah. Um, yeah. And why does this... Because there must be a reason. Right? That, yeah. And I'm not a huge theater company. I don't think I'm going to... I'm at... I think it is impossible for thousands of people to see this show. So why does it matter to you that maybe, you know, five or six hundred people might see it a little differently? Yeah, does that yeah. inhibit your work? 
Maybe it does. Maybe. I don't know. I'm a writer. I was, like, tortured in, <laughs> in school because uh, I wrote a lot of, like, fantasy and in the snooty creative writing department they were like oh that's genre writing and we only want modern pieces and blah blah so um so i i totally get like your writing is important to you and i'm like i don't want it like that's what they wrote that's how they wanted it i just i find it interesting i don't even i don't even know that i judge them i really just like i'm interested to know yeah so yes uh fly by night the um seattle premiere of the off-broadway musical fly by night is playing uh, November 4th through 19th at the Slate Theater. Uh, and you can get uh, tickets and information at RebootTheater.org. Great. That's RebootTheater.org. <laughs> theater R-E or E-R? R-E. Okay. Yes. <laughs> but of course. Good. Yeah, of course. <laughs> Great. Well, thank you so much. Yes, thank you for making the trek. I'm glad. Yeah, I can't wait to see the show. It sounds Oh, my God, yes. Fantastic. Oh, it's so good. Is there maybe, like, a couple of lines of a song you could leave us with that you love Ooh. with your cold not warmed up yes just... really um let's see there are two parts uh one is uh daphne has the song um where she it, it's like her her journey song so like she's moving to new york and she wants to become a star and at one point she gets dis she gets uh discouraged she bucks herself up and says no i can't give up all the stars that made it to the top are the ones who didn't stop. It's so great. And Janet McWilliams plays it, and she's brilliant. That's and awesome. And it's a great part. And then I will, I will leave it because all the cast members will be like, what? You didn't sing the song. So there's a mystical melody in Fly By Night that you will know because I will leave you with this. Part three of the prophecy comes in the form of a melody. La da 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 La da 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 You'll have to come and figure out what it means! <laughs> Wonderful. Okay. Thank you so much. <laughs> yes, thank you. <laughs>